This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. Rodney. Yes, sir. What's What's going on, man? How you doing? How you doing? Good, good, good. I cannot complain. I hear you. I hear you you brought your flute today. Yeah, I mean, I kind of always have it with me. Uh, No doubt. Like a good, you know, good time saver. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. Andre 3000 has arrived. And the man is going to bear gifts, y'all. The enigmatic half of Outkast is dropping his first album of new music in nearly two decades. And even from an artist known for defying expectation, man, this one right here, it sounds totally out the blue. New Blue Sun is the title, and it's the first album of his career that comes with this kind of advisory sticker. Warning, no bars. In other words, this ain't a rap album. It's Andre's instrumental debut. He made it in collaboration with some heavy experimental jazz cats in L.A. like Carlos Nino, Sarai Botafasana, and Nate Mercero. Now, the album drops this Friday, November 17th. So the reason you won't hear any of the music in this interview is because he wants to make sure people can hear it as a whole, uninterrupted, once it's out. But I've heard it, and I love where he's taking us. So I couldn't wait to talk to him about it. Now, even though he's a man of few words on the mic nowadays, he had plenty to say about what inspired this new direction, about the hands-up roller coaster ride that brought him here, and about the ageless, boundless way he's learned to speak through his instrument. And let it be known after this conversation that one of the biggest talents of our generation still has a lot more to give. He even talked about performing live again. Andre talked to me from NPR's Culver City Studios in L.A. while I was at home in Atlanta. And as we were getting ready to start the interview, I could hear him in my headphones doing something he likes to do when he's just killing time. He started playing the flute. Oh, man, you got it sounding nice over there. saver you know like it's so warm man it's like (laughs) oh man thank you yeah Yeah, so like i I just keep it so like uh, like you know you check your phone all the time you kind of just have it in your hand and you look at your phone it's kind of kind of the same thing you just kind of you pick it up and just kind of just see what's happening well first off man let me say thank you for the new music i've been meditating to your album I've been taking long walks, breathing it in, you know, mm-hmm. letting it marinate and and unfold. You know, it's it's been 20 years since we got a new Andre 3000 album. Yeah, man. Yes. Yeah, man. I'm I'm glad that you've been dealing with the album in that way and letting it, you know, be a part of your life in that way. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a minute since uh, I put out a I guess a proper album like the last time was 
you know, I guess speaker box love. Well, no, Idlewild speaker box love below somewhere around in there. Yeah. But um, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm just really man, just happy to share it more than anything, you know. True that, true that, and that's right. I yeah, I forgot Idlewild, so it's not quite twenty years. Almost, um, yeah, it was right around. Yeah. There. But this album, it definitely feels like an evolution that's about that long in the making or, you know, in some ways, maybe it's it's a brand new awakening. I'm, I'm curious how you see it. Yes. I mean, for me, it's it's just an, another like just another iteration of what I've always been doing. Like, I ain't I haven't really like changed my formula at all. It's just kind of mm. this is f- further out. Like, I've always kind of just been, you know, exploring what I can do and just kind of riding the ride you know when me and big boy got mm-hmm. together it was we didn't really know where we were going we had like human intentions we knew we wanted to rap you know yeah and i never knew that rapping would even take me to producing and producing would take me to playing instruments and instruments would you know get me here mm-hmm. so i just been on the ride and you know people been on the ride with us and with me you know yeah. so i mean i i see this as just <laughs> You know, just the further down the road. I mean, even when you look at, like, someone pointed out to me the other day, like, the love below, like, mm-hmm. there was a certain point. Like, I mean, when you look at my favorite things, like, that just instrumental yeah. song in the middle of the album, like, yeah. that, that's, you know, because I, I love Coltrane in that way. So, mm-hmm. you know, I've always been inspired by people um, that can express themselves without words. Mm-hmm. And so um, I've always, you know, been interested in that that kind of approach. And yeah. I mean, even on the love below, I mean, it's horrible. But I've always just kind of been into wind instruments. So I mean, I played a little saxophone on on the love below, and then um, mm-hmm. got into bass clarinet and clarinet and that kind of thing. So I've always kind of just been something about them winds, and and even more, more particular, something about human wind and wood. You know. Like, mm. I started with saxophone because, you know, Coltrane, to be completely okay. honest. And then, okay. you know, me researching Coltrane, you know, to learn that he started playing clarinet first right, in school. And so I was like, well, okay, I need to go and try clarinet. And this is me taking, like, no lessons. This is kind of the rap hip-hop version of it. Like, we, yes. good, we good for just picking up something and trying to figure out how it works or making, you know, a different way. So I was, I was always, like, I had an amateur as soon as I grabbed it I was always able to make a sound like a a pretty cool tone but I never took lessons so I'm, I'm a horrible student so I never learned to play any of them um really well but I've always just been interested in it so for me this is just like further down the road to answer your question well yeah I, I definitely want to get into some 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 heavy flute talk um, yeah, yeah for sure but I'm also curious like there's been obviously a lot of pressure from fans for you to release a new album for for years now mm-hmm. i'm sure you felt it but from what i've heard you say in in past interviews it seems like maybe the greatest pressure you probably felt was the pressure you were putting on yourself at times yeah for, for sure i mean it's always it's always been that way it's, it's like i'm saying it's not anything new mm-hmm. um you know it's like even in our height of what people know of what I've done before. Like I was always like a slow writer. I'm not a freestyler. Like I don't be freestyling and you know, I just didn't, I wasn't blessed, you know, with that. Mm -hmm. I'm a writer and not, not necessarily a pen and pad writer, but I construct and architect verses in a way like, 
you know, that's what I've been doing, you know, all my life. Yeah. So, um, yeah. you know, I look at it in that way. And if I'm not satisfied with what it is, I mean, I just don't put it out. So, you know, even during, you know, the earlier times, you know, big boy, he just kind of going down like really like he's he's so fast and like efficient yeah. with what he does. You know, he'll come in and just throw verses down so fast. And I like it'll take me a minute to throw him down. So it's like I've always kind of been analyzing it or figuring out how I wanted to approach it. And so, you know, in these times, it's just, um, yeah, it's just it just comes harder for me to do it. And I, I don't know why. I mean, I try it all the time. It's not like I, I don't, you know, try or it's not like I have, you know, a lot of these songs. Just sitting, I have songs, you know, but it's not mm-hmm. like uh, rap things that I really, um, really feel happy about sharing. Mm-hmm. And really, that that's like the most important part. Like, I have to I have to feel happy about sharing it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's why New Blue Sun was something that I realized, whoa, I really want people to hear it. I really want to share it. Like, before, that's, that's kind of like my only gauge. I have to like it as a person, as an artist myself. Yeah. Because if, if I don't like it, I can't expect nobody else to like it. I, I can't pretend in that way. So that's always been hard for me. Yeah. So, you know, once we started recording New Blue Sun... I think like three songs in, I was like, oh, we got some. Like I got okay. something. Like I'm like I remember um like I had like maybe four songs and I was just kinda testing out because I I wanted to see what a younger audience too, you know, mm-hmm. how they would how they would perceive it. And mm-hmm. you know, I I reached out to Tyler and, and I, I live in Cali now, so I reached out to Tyler for him to uh-huh. check it out and you know, I went to his house and Tyler the creator. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so we we're sitting there, and mm-hmm. Frank just happened to show up, like, like just it happened to okay. drop by. So yeah. it's it's us three sitting there listening to, you know, these three songs, and I just kind of wanted to get an opinion, and it was just good for me to hear what somebody because sometimes you can you can be in your own thing and think it's a certain thing, and right. you just want to have you know some outside. Not that it really matters because once you once you believe in it enough, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, if if I, I take criticism all the time, but it's not a like, hey, do you like it or not? It's how can we help it? Or, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So at that mm-hmm. point, I felt like we had something because, you know, we had a, a nice day just enjoying it in a way. And I and I started just doing that. Like, I started just playing it for friends and playing it for artists and playing it for mm-hmm. people I respect or people who I felt would get it, you know? And what kind of feedback were they giving you? Oh, that it was, <laughs> like, I think uh, Tyler said... Uh, he was staring at this this thing that he has in his house and yeah. he's like man i've been trying to figure out how to stack these things mm-hmm. um like he's a he's a fan of of travel suitcases and so he has a wall of like travel suitcases and he was like man i've been trying to figure out how to configure these like these like louis suitcases or something on his wall and he was listening to one of the songs and he was like it sounds like you're chasing a butterfly through a garden and I figured it out. Like it helped me to figure out how to do this. And I was like, <laughs> and, and uh, I think Frank pointed out one of his favorite tracks uh, out of the three. Uh, and I was just happy to hear that, you know, cause I respect them as musicians and like, yeah. like new energy, like they're like going for it, man. So it's like, mm-hmm. I, I really respect their opinions in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I was just so happy to, um, to play it, you know, and I play it for like my homies. I play it for friends, you know. Play it for mm-hmm. artists, you know, uh, directors. Just to, just to kind of 
just to see their reaction more than anything. So I was just happy with what I was getting. Well, you already mentioned the, the album title, New Blue Sun. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost an hour and a half in length. It's eight songs that feel orchestral and tribal and contemplative and, and transcendent all at the same time. Um, it feels like you're taking us to other realms, man, you know, or, or at least like definitely other realms of Andre. Yeah, it, it took me to other realms, to be completely honest. Like I've been playing flute for years. Mm-hmm. Um, like it got it got to a point where it was kind of like um, like kind of Instagram worthy where people were kind of just like fit, like sneaking and filming me play. No doubt. In, yeah. in space, like in, in the public, like just out. Like I might be at Starbucks getting a coffee. I'm waiting on my coffee. I might just start playing somewhere, like go yeah. outside and play. And then people would just film me and then post it. Yeah. And uh, that started to happen a lot. And then like one person actually came up to me on the street and he was like, man, you know, it's a thing like, you know, we it's a game almost like we're trying to find you and trying to film you play <laughs> yeah. this flute. And that, that like, kind of was sucky because it was kind of like a Where's Waldo kind of thing. Where's Waldo, Like a, like yeah. a game. <laughs> exactly. And I didn't like that because, I mean, okay. they, they just kept getting little nicks of me just kind of messing around, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I just felt like uh, I'd like to share it on a wide scale. Like, I'd really like to play, but it was really for me. Like, I would just walk for hours. And I'm a walker. I love to walk. So I would just walk and play for yeah. for hours and like I did that for years but the thing to me that's interesting about those sightings is they started happening at a time where we weren't seeing or hearing much from you and when we would see you you would look happy you would look at peace you were playing this flute <laughs> and it was it was reassuring you know what I'm saying like that whatever was going on with you you seem like you were in a good place. And with artists that I think we care about, when we're not hearing output from them, you know, that's always a question. You know what I'm saying? Are they in a good place? It, it almost seemed like it was it was like a spiritual practice for you, like a form of meditation. I don't know. Maybe that's 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 deeper or more more like esoteric than 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 it really is for you, but I mean, you always seem like you in a good place. Like, is that is that kind of what it does for you? Or uh, I'm happy. I'm happy when I'm playing. I'm, I'm exploring when I'm playing. I'm thinking mm-hmm. when I'm playing. I wouldn't say that it's a set out meditation, but I do think you get into a meditative practice uh, for you know staying in the moment and doing a repetition of something. A lot of times when I'm playing, like e- actually every time when I'm playing, mm-hmm. I'm making it up as I'm going along. Uh, so it's I have to force myself to pay attention to what I'm doing. Like I'm not, well, well, sometimes I may find a pattern that I like or a melody that I like that I kind of go back to, but for the most, I'm like responding to what's happening. So yeah, I'm I'm very happy when I'm playing. I'm very Mm -hmm. in the moment when I'm playing. And yeah. it's funny you, you say that because like if I was on the, on the corner and somebody said, oh man, that's Andre 3000, man, rap. It would, it would feel so <laughs> weird for me to just start rapping. Yeah. But if somebody say, hey, play, what, what does that sound like? I'm so gung-ho to play. Like, I love to play it. Like, it's so, yeah, yeah I, I don't know. It's, it's a completely different. Maybe because it's completely free. And maybe, mm-hmm. maybe a freestyle rapper, like I, I love when, when rappers can freestyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they feel that feeling too when someone asks them to rap. Hmm. You know, but um, for me, it's, um, it's like if someone asks you to build a house right here on the spot. <laughs> you know what I mean it's like or design this house right here on the spot that may be fun for some people but it's actually work, yeah. work for me yeah yeah and um, 
And so going into New Blue Sun, it was kind of like trying to figure out, well, how do I share it? And I had all these ideas and all these influences of how I wanted it to sound. And I know now that, you know, the path that my, my living path, like I moved from New York, I moved to California and Venice mm-hmm. Beach in particular. And so okay. Venice Beach is uh, it's on the west side of L.A. And uh, everybody knows Venice Beach is it's a different kind of L.A. And it's, it's walkable, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's neighborhoody. Uh, it's a little sketchy at times, but I think moving to, to Venice definitely uh, helped introduce me to people I would be playing with. Like, I actually met Carlos Nino in Air One. <laughs> and uh, everybody know we call it Club Air One because it's so kind of like a fashionable place to be. And okay. uh, so I'm in Air One and Carlos, um, we meet and he was like, you know, everybody in town has been telling me that you you were in town playing flute. And they were telling me that we should meet. And so um, that day that me and Carlos met, he invited me to an event that he was throwing this Alice Coltrane um, like tribute event. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. brought my flute. You know, it was kind of like a few hours after we met. And he was like, hey, man, we should hook up. And I, we just we actually just hooked up and I would, you know, go to his house, go to his basement and we'd just be playing. And um, so when I started to say, hey, I really want to make an effort to make this album, his instinct and his pool of people, like his Carlos Nino and friends, like he said, I could bring people, you know, I know players that could help. And we sat around, we we tried a few different uh, configurations to figure out like what works best for me. Mm -hmm. And uh, in producing the album, we kind of nailed it down and we experimented and we found a sound and it ended up being the core four of us uh me you know on winds um different mm-hmm. woodwind instruments and digital flutes carlos nino on percussions mm-hmm. nate mercero on guitar and he hardly ever sounds like he's playing guitar but he's yeah. an awesome guitarist he's kind of like a magician in a way and then saraya budafasana uh he's a keyboardist right and that's kind of like the, the core four but i had to say like i think me moving to vi- like i wouldn't i would have never met the people that were really important to what I'm doing now if I wouldn't have moved to Venice. And it was happenstance how I moved to Venice. So, But the way we recorded, uh, and I think it's important to know when, when I say it transcended me, it took me to different places to play. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't sit around and say, okay, well, we're going to play these chords. Because I don't know chords. I don't know keys. I don't know notes. I've always produced in that way, just kind of doing it. And so in this situation, we have the engineer set up and we just press record and find ourselves and listen to each other. So everything you're hearing on New Blue Sun was uh, spontaneous like compositions. Mm-hmm. We made it up on the spot. And wow. so even in our live shows, you'll see us do it uh, okay. in that way. So everything you hear is how we heard it. So you got to think when you're listening to it and, and I'm responding, I'm learning the melodies as I'm going along. Mm-hmm. So everything is kind of in the moment. So if you feel transcendent, we were transcended at the same time because we we're on the ride with nice. y'all. You know what I mean? Nice, nice. Yeah. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned, I want to back up for a second because you mentioned Carlos Nino, who you produced the album with. He's a heavy hitter and kind of almost feels like a, like a spiritual guru of sorts in, in the L.A. kind of <laughs> alt-jazz world, you know? Um, uh, I don't know we, how you take We laugh that, at, the, at the guru. Kind of, he's like, I'm not, I'm not no guru. You know, but I understand what you mean, man. He's a, he's a great yeah. connector, man. Great person, great musician. So no I, know, I know what you mean. Yeah, I mean, he's worked with everybody from Miguel Atwood Ferguson to Mad Lib. Um, and I know you played flute on his most recent 
Carlos Nino and Friends album on a song called Conversations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a lot, a lot of the way you talking about this community of artists that you got linked up with, it kind of makes me think about your beginnings with the dungeon. Man, um, definitely. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you said that because even like the last song on the album, mm-hmm. uh, it, it mentions the dungeon and, and that's on purpose because mm-hmm. in the same way, like, now, like when when you talk about Carlos Nino and Nate Marcero and Soraya, like Buda Fasana, like like in in this whole community of players, like it gives you an opportunity and a support system to be as free as you can be, hmm. and like you you need um, you need to feel comfortable in the situation to be like really free, and that's why I really champion like crews, like even rap crews, like it's important for you to for your crew to be supportive of you because you can be the best you can be and. Like I wouldn't even be I, I wouldn't be able to play flute or any of this stuff. I wouldn't have be like producing any of this if it wasn't for the dungeon. So the dungeon was the dirt. That's the ground that we we planted everything in. And it like all of those members in the dungeon family, Goody Mob, uh, Organizing Noise, Big Boy, everybody like created an environment for me to be able to like to just go, <laughs> you yeah. know, like, yeah. like you, you, you need that if you don't. If you don't feel comfortable in the situation, you won't be as free as you as you can be. Yeah, yeah. Well, you you've talked a lot about in recent years about having social anxiety disorder and about you know how the need for isolation kind of compounded it even further. Which, I mean, first of all, I want to say is like so refreshing to me that we as as black men, especially, are starting to be you know, just more transparent about with each other about mental health and stuff like that. But the fact that this album wasn't made in isolation and was a very collaborative process. I mean, can you talk more about how that gave you that that sense of freedom and kind of helped you kind of get unstuck a little bit? Yeah, totally. I mean, like I was talking like the 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 environment was really important. And like we're listening to each other. We're responding to each other we're supporting each other at certain times and that's the sound so it's kind of mirroring real life that's why I say when I describe it which is hard to really describe it's a full living breathing album because it's fully alive like like the same like we didn't we didn't sketch it out like we didn't like do a sketch first or we didn't okay so so it's really really breathing so like you're along the ride and those people around uh, it's a support system in that way and as far as like you know anxiety and that kind of thing you know I, I yes I have been diagnosed with that but I kind of realized that like life is life man like and it's kind of mm-hmm. like our grandparents they didn't have these terms to describe these things you know they didn't mm-hmm. have these diagnoses to describe these things so they may have been going through same similar thing, but they just had to live through it. And it's like, mm. I mean, that's what it is. Like life is life and life will come at you at different ways. And it's, and it's for you to pay attention to what's happening. And, you know, so I'm not like, I'm, I'm, I don't feel worse or better than anybody else. I feel like what comes to you is for you. So, mm. you know, I just use it as an instrument, just like you use me. So yeah, mm. like I wouldn't be here. Like if it wasn't for, you know, these you know what they call ailments and all this kind of stuff man like Mm -hmm. I don't want to lean on that and I think a lot of times we're starting because now we have a name for it Mm -hmm. we're starting to lean on these names and kind of like really dig into these names and really just try try to just figure yourself out you know and I'm not sure if 
sometimes I think uh, you may give yourself a, a disservice once you once you start calling the boogeyman the boogeyman, you know. Like, <laughs> then you start looking for it. So it's like just live and take it day by day, man. Like everything won't be great. The, the yeah. thing, the only thing I can say, man, is like learn how to ride the roller coaster because it's gonna be a roller. I don't care who you are, it's mm-hmm. gonna be a roller coaster. So my thing is just the best thing you can do is learn how to ride the roller coaster with your hands up. That's it. That's, <laughs> That's it. Well, to a lot of people, this might feel like a, a bit of a, mu- a musical diversion because you know it's not a rap album. There's no rapping on the album at all, but. I think that uh, one thing that any true Andre 3000 fan has hopefully learned over the years is to always expect the unexpected. So in some ways, I don't know, I feel like you've been preparing us for a new direction for for decades. But I'm wondering, especially what you're talking about, I'm wondering what kind of work did it take for you to prepare yourself, like even before you got with the tribe and the community and click that you made this album with like what was that process like for you in terms of getting to this point living it's not it's not even like a a magical thing like my training was living like you know my direction was was living and what what i mean by that is like you you say i've been kind of like preparing you for like and always be expecting the unexpected for Mm -hmm. me that's kind of like what's been given to me. Like I never knew, like when I, when I was a kid, like I draw and paint, like I, I knew I was going to go to art school. My mom thought I was going to go to art school. I was supposed to go to Savannah um, college of art and design in, in Atlanta. And that mm-hmm. just didn't happen. I discovered rap and you know, like I didn't know I'd be rapping. <laughs> I didn't know I start producing. Mm-hmm. I didn't know I start singing. I didn't know my style would go a certain way. I didn't know I put a wig on. Like I didn't know none of this. So, I'm on the ride with y'all. So I'm expecting anything just like like y'all. So I didn't know I'd be playing a flute. I, I laugh at it because like my homies in Atlanta, like we'll talk and he was like, man, you know, niggas think you crazy walk around with this flute. <laughs> and like, I'm, I'm always in on the joke. So don't ever think that I'm, I, I don't know right. how people think or, or look at me in a certain way. Yeah. Like I understand, like if I was on the outside, I would feel the same way. <laughs> so for me, I don't know what I'm going to do, but that's that's the cool and scary thing about it. And I think as an artist, you kind of got to got to put yourself out there to be prepared to respond. Like I'm a I'm a I'm a responding person. That's what I am. I'm responding to what's given to me. So whatever you see, it's just me responding to what's happening in front of me is responding to my contemporaries. It's responding to, you know, what I love It's it's responding to what I don't like It's responding to to all of that and I, mm-hmm. and I think as an artist you kind of got it like you got to have like really strong antennas yeah and that's that's really that's that's what it's about and so where I am now is where I'm supposed to be I never I, I couldn't plan it and here, here's the cool thing like yes we can plan it like our human like our limited human brains can plan it but it's always much more it's always like greater and more magical when you're surprised by these things. I bet you, I bet you, like, I do hear a lot of artists say, like, yeah, I always knew I was going to be doing this. Yeah, you knew, but you didn't know you were going to be doing this or doing yeah. it this way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I've mm-hmm. seen artists transcend themselves, and it's like, I get emotional about it. Like, as like when I see rappers go to a certain level, I'm sure they didn't know, because I, I didn't know. So mm-hmm. I, I know they ain't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
but that but that's the magic so y'all just looking at the magic show and and every and it's nothing special I, i'm not special everybody has a certain kind of magic show you watching it like you didn't know what you would be doing well let's let's get into this album man because i, I want to make sure we spend some time talking about it and well first the, the album title new blue sun is there is there a double meaning there because it, it feels like there's a double meaning at play behind that uh double maybe maybe triple I, I i can explain it like new blue sun for me it means um like right right now like if you look up in the sky like the sun that we've been living under for like ages even the egyptian times it's, it's the same sun and it's this kind of whitish light brightish kind of yellow like when people draw it or i'm a paint it it's usually this whitish whitish or yellowish kind of sun and unfortunately that sun is going to burn out like it's at some point that sun will die just like all stars mm-hmm. and new blue sun for me was like in a i guess in a sci-fi way like the next world or the next beings will be under a bluer cooler burning sun mm-hmm. and so it will burn cool it but it will be larger so when you look up in the sky in these times there'll be this like larger globe of bluish, still bright, but bluish because it's cooler, sun. And for me, it's kind of like this whole album and this whole direction is a new world for me. So it's it's that kind of, yeah, it's that world. New Blue Sun is like a new direction. So let's get to the song titles because you got some real clever wordplay going on with these <laughs> song titles. I mean, they feel like part confessional, it's ironic, it's mind-altering and, and all like super humorous, um, but also really lyrical and, and like literary, you know, and long. Yeah, <laughs> they, were, they, were long. <laughs> they were long on purpose because I knew, okay, if this album has no lyrics, uh, that I would try to give as much you know, thought or information in the titles. And yeah. I kind of like, I kind of been going through a phase where I love these like really long titles. And um, yeah, it's just kind of like a a taste choice more than anything. So yeah. I was trying to like, like find fun and, you know, and, and also like I think this world that when people think of flutes and, you know, they think of cymbals and chimes or meditation or... Um, you know, this kind of ethereal kind of sound, they forget that we're human too. So, you know, I was like, I guess the rapper in me, like I'm trying to humanize it or punkitize it or like make it less precious. Like it is precious, but at the same time, we're human. So we laugh, you know, like, and and so I was trying to really like inject some type of, um, yeah, I, I, I guess just, just humanness because I'm a full-rounded person. Like, I'm a Gemini, so it's like, yeah, you may think it's one side, but yeah, I got this whole other, like, devilish kind of side, too, like, demonish side, and I think every human has it in them, and you mm-hmm. pick choices to be what you're going to be and do what you do, but... yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I was trying to um, just show some balance in it so it's not all incense burning and... Right, right, yeah, right. Yeah, you know what I mean? That's, I that's just not me every day, you know? <laughs> no doubt. A lot of these uh, songs, we were kind of like in the studio, we would quickly title them just to have a place marker. Okay. And so they may be, um, yeah, they may be something like just something that we can remember it by. Yeah. And I went back to title them after we recorded them. So, okay. Yeah. So um, I would really love if you could read some of them for starting with the first song title because I think it really addresses the elephant in the room right off top for sure so the first song 
the the title is I swear I really wanted to make a rap album, but this is literally the way the wind blew me this time. And so <laughs> for me, like I, I already knew how people would be looking at it and I didn't want to like I don't want to troll people. I don't want people to think, oh, this Andre 3000 album is coming and you play right. it and like, oh, man, ain't no verses. So <laughs> even actually on the packaging, you know, you'll see it. It says warning, no bars. So it's kind of uh, like it's, it's letting you know what it is off the top. Mm-hmm. But also like this is true, man. Like like I really like you understand, like I, I love rap music because it was a part of my youth. So I, I would love to be out here rapping with everybody rapping because it's almost like fun of being on the playground playing. Like I would love to be out here playing with everybody, but it's like it's just not happening for me. So mm-hmm. this is the realest thing that's coming right now. Not to say that I, I would never do it again. But it's, those are not the things that are coming right now. And I have to present what's given to me, you know, at the yeah. time. So the title, you know, I really wanted to make a rap album. But this is literally the way the wind blew me this time because this, this album is about wind and breathing. And so, mm. you know, in that way, it is true. It is literally blowing me this way. And I'm blowing yeah. flutes and I'm blowing digital instruments. And I'm, yeah. So, yeah, that's what the first title was about. Tell me if I'm wrong, but I also imagine that the legacy of Outkast, like as great as it is, has maybe in some ways also kind of like weighed you down at times or, or blanketed your creativity at nah, times. Nah, nah, nah. It catapulted no? me, man. Like like Outkast was just an incubator to to explore, man. Like I like I'm saying, like I couldn't have done I couldn't have done a lot of the things if Big Boy didn't support it. Mm-hmm. So it's like if I was on my own it may have been, you know, been taken a different way. You know what I mean? Okay. So, okay. no, nah, Outkast was definitely a, a incubator for me, man. Like, yeah. But I mean, even even not like 20 years out almost, you know, like even after post Outkast, was it still, did it still feel like a, a catapult or did it ever feel like something you had to live up to in terms of whatever you were going to do next? No, well, on on the outside, like if I'm a if I'm a fan, yeah, I do understand how like you would want it to be lived up to what was before. So in that way, it's kind of sucky that people, you know, kind of judge you for what was before. But I mean, that's that's life, you know. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Outcast mm-hmm. was a part of my life, and yeah. of course, there are certain standards that we set. So yeah, we've kind of created certain standards that people's ears, you know, have kind of kind of gotten accustomed to. So in that way. Yeah, I mean, people are going to expect a thing, but I wouldn't say it's a it's a bad thing. It's kind of it's kind of like a good thing in a way because it, you know, you hope to create an, an art piece that people enjoy, and mm-hmm. they've enjoyed it for years, so they kind of want to hold you to that. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I understand it, you know. Yeah. Well, the other interesting thing I think is you know when you talk about not necessarily being there with rap right now, I think a lot of fans immediately think of all these fire guest verses that you've been dropping on other people's projects for like, I don't know, more than a decade now. It, it, a lot of times it, it feels like a verse from you is more anticipated than than half of the people's projects that you're appearing on. But it makes me curious, like when you talk about your relationship with rap, is it the art form itself or the current state of rap that you feel most disconnected from? No, no, it's it's all of it. Like where the world is kind of dictates, you know, dictates how you come. So hmm. it's, I mean, all of it is a factor. And so, I mean, I get beats from producers, like even like current producers now all the time. 
and I, I mean, I still produce myself, um, but I've been trying to find a way that I just hadn't found anything that that's pleasing enough to me to to want to present, you know, and mm-hmm. and not from from any of the producers or anything because I'd be loving when I hear somebody else do it, but it's kind of like, I don't know how to rock on that really, you know, mm-hmm. in a mm-hmm. way that I feel great about it. So, I mean, if I can't find a way to rock on it, it's, um, yeah, I kind of leave it there. Mm. Is that is that what was made like instrumental music? You said it feels more rebellious to you. Like talk about your passion for instrumental music, like how it started and, and, and how you got off into that that bag so more so well it's really funny like as a youngster I, well I associated jazz music with old people okay <laughs> yeah I mean I'm just I'm just being honest like as a as, yeah, a, yeah. as a rapper I associated jazz music with old people and elevator music like because it had become that and here's what's hilarious too like every generation will, will do that so it, what's funny is at some point in the future people want to listen to trap music and be like oh that's nice <laughs> No, I'm, I'm, I'm being honest because yeah. it, it happens because right. society moves forward and it always mm. does. But I, I remember when I was like about 20 and I got into actually music and like and producing and like really understand. And I start and I always like like some songs and I'm like, whoa, OK, like. I mean, they, the pop songs that I that I got into, uh, like some of the uh, the take five yeah. or the uh, Chuck Mangione. Like, I remember that, like mm. playing on the radio as a kid and like humming the melodies. And I was like, oh, OK, so I'm getting affected by, you know, these these instrumental cats. And so once I started mm-hmm. really getting into it and getting into it, I'm like, hold up, like jazz was the rap of that time. Like the like these dudes, they were they were smoking, they were they were doing heroin, they were in clubs, they were like <laughs> like trading like what we trade versus they they trading like solos and like you really get into it and you really understand what they were doing and how rebellious what they were doing. Hmm. You were like, man, this is the ultimate. Wow. And so like you you got to think like classical music was before like so you, these cats took took classical instruments. Mm-hmm. And pared it down to a smaller kind of situation. I mean, there was big band jazz before, but mm-hmm. what 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 I got gra- grabbed by was the what came later than the big big band jazz. But they were taking classical instruments and finding a new way to do it. That classical guys were probably looking like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they just invented a whole new music. And you have to understand that. So maybe the context of what they were doing is is as important as what they were doing, too. And they studied all the cl- like all the j- real jazz cats. They studied the classical cats. They knew what they were doing. Yeah. And they found a way to throw it back at them in a certain way. So once I discovered it and got deep into it, and you you know you 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 loving Eric Dolphy and and, and Coltrane and Yusef Latif and Pharaoh Sanders, like these are some of my mm-hmm. favorites and. As a child, like I'm, I'm like, whoa! They can actually say something or make me feel something without saying something, and it's so universal too because you don't have to be American, you don't have to be Japanese, you don't have to be from South America, but it affects everybody because they're tones. Yeah. It's just sounds and tones that it, it can be translated in any way, and that was like really, really attractive to me. So I always looked up to those cats more than anybody. Yeah. And so, like, I've always kind of, like, messed around with instruments, and I was trying to figure out, like, how can I do it in my own way? And so when I got to this point, it was just fun, and I just felt like if someone is transported or they're feeling a thing or feeling a way, 
you know, that's I'm sharing something in a different way. And I and I know from like watching my heroes grow older that your your rhythm mm-hmm. is kind of it, it ages you in a certain way and your vocals age you in a certain way. So I was always trying to figure out a way that I can continue like you can continue rapping for the rest of your life till you 90 years old. Mm-hmm. But I've always tried to find a way that was ageless. Mm. And when you're listening to a player, a lot of times, like an instrumental player, you may not know their age. Mm. And I, and I kind of love that in a way. And not that there's anything wrong with age. And I think we have a thing where we kind of run away from age. Like, I, I love that I'm 48 now. Like, if I could go back to being 21, I would not. Mm-hmm. And that's just the truth. Like, yeah. sometimes I look in the mirror, I'm like, man, you have silver hair. <laughs> and I'm like, that's so awesome. <laughs> you know die. what I mean? It's like, I'm yeah. a silverback gorilla. Yeah, <laughs> and you have to you have to earn that. You have to really yeah. earn it. But I've I've had silver hair since I was seventeen, to be honest. But yeah, but yeah. now it's it's more prominent. In my conversation with Andre Three Thousand about his new album, New Blue Sun, will continue right after this short break. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture Card. Earn unlimited two x miles on every purchase. Plus, earn unlimited 5x miles on hotels and rental cars booked through Capital One Travel. Your next trip is closer than you think with the Venture Card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Lagunitas Brewing Company. Since 1993, Lagunitas has been challenging the status quo, brewing innovative beer, and crafting stories along the way. Featuring a wide range of craft brews, cult classics, and non-alcoholic options, there's a seat at the bar for everyone. Bring the dog, too. Lagunitas Brewing Company. Because every great song deserves a great beer. It's good to have friends. Learn more at lagunitas.com. Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands. But because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit SAATVA.com slash NPR and save an additional $200. Listen to Embedded for moments that stay with you. I could smell the smoke. I could smell the dust. Voices that resonate. <laughs> stories that change the way you think about your life. How, how did we get here? The Embedded podcast is NPR's home for original documentary series. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Rodney Carmichael from NPR Music, and I'm talking with Andre 3000 about his surprising new instrumental album, New Blue Sun. So the first song that I, mm-hmm. I, I named the title, uh, I swear I really want to make a rap album. So mm-hmm. the actual studio working title for that was called Beyond the Pharaohs. That was oh, the wow. first title of it. And why we called it Beyond the Pharaohs because we were so excited. And I was like, oh, man, I can't wait to Pharaoh Sanders hear, hear this. I wonder yeah. what he would think. And so we called it Beyond the Pharaohs as a nod. And unfortunately, he passed away before, you know, he could hear it. Well, let me ask you this, because you were talking about your heroes being able to say stuff with, with the music. Like, do you find that you're able to say things through the music that you can't with words? Yes. Um, now that, you know, people are finally hearing it, uh, journalists are finally hearing it, uh, everybody has their own translation. Uh, and that's kind of cool because it's for you. You know, it's, it's your thing. You can have your own thoughts with it. I have my own thoughts. And one cool thing about flute or, or any kind of instrumental music, but for me, is uh, the focus is flute and, and wind instruments. For me, 
like whatever mood I'm in, if I'm playing, I can be saying anything. I can be saying, I hate that pussy nigga. I can be saying that with my flute or I can be saying, oh, you're really attractive. Like I can mm. be saying those things in my mind and translating them in my way. And, you know, it's for me. Mm. Like some, it's funny, like some things like in society you can't say out loud, especially now, mm. you know, everybody's kind of like really sensitive about things, right. but you can say them with an instrument, <laughs> you okay. know, it's kind of, it's kind of cool. It's kind of like a sub, a, a sub talk in a way. Well, that's, that's like a perfect segue into, into track two, which if you don't mind reading that title. The title for number two is called The Slang Word Pussy rolls off the tongue with far better ease than the proper word vagina. Do you agree? <laughs> and so the name of that was originally called All Occasions. And it's because mm. when we finished it, we were like, man, like you can you can you can play this in any situation. And one of them, of course, was like when you with your lady or with whatever you with these days. But that was like all occasions was like if you're in a sexual situation, too, this song could work. Mm. And so when I went to title it, I was trying to make a nod to it, but still be kind of like fun with it. So, right. um, yeah. So that was how that title came about. Well, yeah, I, I'm curious, like, how much the titles, like, reflect the intention or the inspiration that you have behind the actual music. Yeah, I mean, it's up for interpretation. And just to put a place marker on it, like, yeah, I just thought it would just be, sometimes I go for what's more interesting. Like, boring mm -hmm. is boring, you know. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's the more interesting choice is where it's at. Well, well let's, let's get into some flute talk, man. We, we started talking flutes at the beginning a little bit. Like you said, you play a digital wind instrument on... on on this song and several other songs. How, how many flutes do you own? Uh, maybe about 30, 30, 40 flutes. Wow. Okay, I yeah, did not but expect I, but that. I, yeah, but I have, <laughs> I have to say, like, um, it's it's because, like, I started with one style of flute. The, the style of flute that I started with was introduced to me by Cassia. Uh, Cassia, she's a world-class surfer, and she was playing this flute at this breathwork class and as soon as she started playing my ears popped up I'm like what is that sound and I had to go up to her and ask her like like what is that and so uh, she introduced me to my flute master the guy that makes my flute Guillermo Martinez um, and that style of flute that he makes was my intro into flutes and mm -hmm. so like I was living in New York at a, at a point and so when I get into an Uber or get into a taxi I always play uh, and so what started to happen, like depending on the taxi driver, like whatever nationality were, they were, like if they were Chinese or if they were African or mm -hmm. East Indian, a driver, they would always turn around and be like, oh, that reminds me of my country. Mm -hmm. And even though I'm playing one flute, it always mm -hmm. reminded them of their country. And so at that point, they would start to have a conversation with me like, oh, man, have you ever heard of the Bansuri flute, which is an Indian flute? Or, oh, have you heard of the Ney flute, you know, which is... Egyptian or Turkish flute and so I'm kind of getting schooled by different cultures on different flutes so when I say I have a lot of flutes um, I have most mostly my style of flutes uh, made by Guillermo but I started to just collect a lot of different flutes from a lot of different countries so I have flutes from Thailand I have flutes from China I have flutes from Korea uh, flutes from Africa so it's like just being excited about you know wind and flutes you know, and every culture has a flute. The flute is the first instrument ever after the drum. The drum came first, 
mm-hmm. and then flute. So flute is the first instrument where we actually heard a musical tone mm-hmm. or note. You know, so it's always interesting to me about flutes in that way. And one thing I like about flutes and wood wooden flutes mm-hmm. in particular is it's the closest to the human voice out of all the instruments. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I kind of gravitated towards it because when you're hearing a flute player or or a saxophonist, like you're actually hearing the wind of that human. You hear it more in in wood because I think sometimes the uh, metal may color it more. But it's something about the wood and the human voice. Yeah, it's closest to the human voice. Let's jump to, to, to track three. Um, if you can, if you could say the title for that one, that'd be good. Okay, so track three is titled "That Night in Hawaii When I Turned Into a Panther and Started Making These Low Register Purring Tones That I Couldn't Control." Shit was wild. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I ain't gonna lie, man. This this sounds like a straight up ayahuasca trip. Or that something is like exactly that. what I was talking about. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, you gotta you gotta tell me the story behind this night, man. Yeah, I was I was actually in Hawaii, and it was my second night of the first time I've, I'd ever taken Hawaii, uh, ayahuasca. And we did uh-huh. it like a three-night kind of phase, but the first night was inviting and beautiful and, like, the most powerful love and connection with all things I've ever felt in my life. Mm-hmm. The second night was different. <laughs> and everybody knows that I will do you that way. Yeah. Uh, so the second night, um, my stomach was hurting. My mouth contorted like a panther, and I actually turned into a panther, and I was doing like, like that kind of thing. And uh, I actually turned into a panther, and it was doing this thing called toning. Toning is another way of purging, and toning is where you make these vibrational noises that you can't control, and it started playing me like an instrument. And so I, I started as a panther, and then I would... It would make me do these long kind of tones and started changing the notes. So, um, and I can only mimic it. So on the album, I'm mimicking. But mm-hmm. <laughs> the funny thing was in, in the eye session, I was like, damn, I wish I had my phone so I can record this because like, it would be so dope. But uh, so on the album, kind of mimicking the sound, but it, it kind of okay. sounds something like this. So it started playing me in a way that goes like... <laughs> It's kind of playing me, like changing notes, and I'm not doing it. I'm witnessing it, and I'm watching it, and it holds you for so long. I'm like, where's this breath coming from? And then you end off, and you go, (gasps) and do it again. And I'm like, whoa, what is happening right now? So that's what I'm talking about on that title. Was it scary at the time, or was it like, how how did it make you feel? It was kind of intriguing at the time, because... I mean, the, the, the sound listener in me, I'm digging the sound. But mm-hmm. at the same time, the shaman is coming. He comes over and he's, you know, fanning me. And, you know, he's saying, oh, that's like 20 years of therapy happening right now. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess I had to get through that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it was kind of it, it, it was just interesting because my mouth actually like I, I, my mouth shaped like it shaped like a panther it like actually mm. made my mouth like uh, I'm trying to I can't do it through the microphone but it made my mouth kind of yeah and was this like hours or how long was it well most uh, most eye sessions last about six hours um, yeah 
but it don't feel like six hours. Feel like maybe two or three. Mm. For me, for me anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So has is it has it been overall like even after the fact like a, as eye opening an experience as they they say it is? Yeah, man. I was a I was a changed person when I left Hawaii, which is um, really yeah. I have to say, man, it is um, it is legit. You know, um, yeah. I won't say it's like a a fix all kind of thing. But uh, at the time when I went to do it, I was kind of in like a very, very low place. Mm. And a friend of mine told me about it and he was like, yeah, man, you got to check it out. Read this book first. So I read about it, you know, before I went in because I was like, man, y'all, y'all niggas just like to do drugs, man. And I'm not into it like that. And uh, I got to a point where it just so happened that I ran into a person that was going to Hawaii the next day. And I was like, well, why are you going to Hawaii? He's like, yeah, hey, I'm going to do this thing with Sham. So the way, usually the way uh, it comes to you, it comes to you when you need it. So I would tell anybody, like, don't let anybody force you into, like, doing ayahuasca and like that. Mm-hmm. You'll know if you want to do it and when you need to do it because it calls you, you know, in that mm-hmm. way. And I know it sounds, you know, you know, bigger than what it is, but it actually is bigger than what it is, but it's so natural, like, the plants have been here way before we were human. So it's like you're having a conversation with your great, 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 great grandmothers. Yeah, that's deep. Let's get to the track four. I think it's such a another interesting title. Track four is called Bipolo Disorder's Daughter Wears a 3000 Shirt Embroidered. That was just a fun thing. Like, I was just... Like I knew like these kind of diagnose, and I'm not making fun of any kind of diagnosis, but I thought like, especially as a, as a person, you know, that loves polo, I just thought it was funny, like bipolo, like, like as the brand Ralph Lauren polo, like bipolo disorder, like as if like, we're so into like this fashion, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So bipolo's daughter wears a 3000 shirt embroidered. And so it's, it's like this, um, these shirts that I'm making right now, um, it was kind of like a nod to what I'm talking about, but just yeah. being a Ralph Lauren Polo fan, um, it's just kind of like a funny play on words. What kind of shirts are you making right now? Coming soon. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You know, it's 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 one thing to talk about your your evolution as an artist, but you know, even as a person, you've been through a lot that. Honestly, I don't I don't know if fans always remember to take into account when we make like these selfish demands what feel like selfish demands for more music um, from from artists that we love. But, you know, in your case, you in the last decade, you lost both your mom and your dad and and more recently your stepdad, who I know you've said was really an, an anchoring person in your life. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of grief, man, for, for, for anybody to hold, especially back to back. Like, how, how did managing all of that, how has that changed you or impacted you as a person? Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot um, kind of like in the order that it happened. Uh, but it's, it's life, too, man. Like, I mean, it's, the worst thing about it is uh, you don't expect it. You know, mm-hmm. I wouldn't, it wasn't the thing that I could prepare for. But yeah, I'm I'm happy to know that, you know, my parents and and my stepfather are in their next phase of what's happening, you know. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, at the time it felt a lot. It was a lot. It was really, really heavy. 
uh, for me, but you, you get through it um, and you keep living. They exchange energy with you. So you kind of feel a boost in your back at the same time as if, you know, when they pass, they give it mm -hmm. to you. So I can mm -hmm. say um, death makes you think about living. Death makes you push, you know. But um yeah man it was um it was a it was a grieving time but it's a life. <laughs> yeah. You know yeah. and and everybody has to go through it. You know the un unfortunate thing is the older you get the more funerals you have to go to. Mm. You know. Yeah. That's, I hear that often. Yeah. No doubt. But it's you know did it make music or or just your art and, and craft feel any less essential or more essential in any kind of way no uh, I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that um, it just kind of makes you f just remember things it makes you mm -hmm. remember the times that you and your mom had or the times you and your dad had or you know the times that your stepdad told you certain things so mm -hmm. yeah it just kind of reiterates what was given to you when they were here you know? yeah. yeah. Another thing about um, something interesting, I just had a conversation with Guillermo, my, my flute maker, and he was telling me that uh, there's a, a responsibility that comes with flute playing. When I first started playing, maybe two years after I had my flute, I went back to Guillermo to kind of get a checkup on my flute and, you know, to get it tuned and clean and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And he kind of pulls me to the side and he's like, hey, I, I noticed that you're really into these flutes. I have to tell you, like, I'm not, not, go, not a warning, but it's, I have to mm. tell you that there will come a time when you, when you play and people will cry. And it's mm -hmm. happened to me, like, a few times now. Like, it's, like, grown men, like, crying. Like, uh, one time I'm in a taxi, and this, uh, I'm, I, once I get in, I usually start playing, and this guy turns around crying. He's like, when you play, he's like, my mother died last night. And when you play, it makes it feel like she's right here in the seat with me. Wow. And so, you know, we were having this conversation, me and Guillermo, and he was like, yeah, he was like, uh, I get asked to play at funerals now or, or when somebody know they're about to pass. And, you know, the last days, sometimes the family will call me to play. And I was like, whoa, that's crazy, because I was recently asked to play at a funeral and I denied it. Mm -hmm. And so when Virgil passed, his family asked, would I play? Wow at the funeral and I and I denied it but mm -hmm. but only because I did I felt like I would be a distraction mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. it would be you know like this you know I, I don't know I just I just felt like um, it would have taken away from the moment and I only mm -hmm. knew Virgil like through text and a, and a few conversations so I, I couldn't pretend like I knew him that well you know Okay. Yeah. but I was honored that the family asked me to play at mm -hmm. the funeral but I, I couldn't and so when I told Guillermo, he was like, yeah, sometimes you have to look at it now as a responsibility to play. They ask you to play for a reason. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I just wanted to uh, lay that out because um, when my mom passed, I don't know, I had this urge to play. But I wasn't even playing flute back then. I just wanted to, I think I was more on guitar at that point. Okay. And uh, I just didn't. I, I, I don't think I could go through with it, but... Um, I don't know. I think so I think New Orleans has it best. Like, yeah. I think the funeral kind of the way we do funerals, I think is really antiquated and sad. Yeah. I think I think we need to party more or like celebration. Yeah, I think New Orleans got it. I got a few more questions, but sure, sure. 
I want to know if I could get you to just read the rest of the titles um, just to get them all in before we before we get too close to the end. I think we're on number number five. five. Yeah. So number five is called 93 Till Infinity and Beyonce. So that was more like uh, like when I was a youngster, like Souls of Mischief was like one of my favorite groups. Yeah. And 93 Till Infinity, everybody remembers that song. And so it was kind of like a fun nod and, you know, Buzz Lightyear from... Um, was a toy story he always say till infinity and beyond you know so <laughs> it was kind of like 93 till infinity and beyonce so it was kind of like just this fun thing i don't know play on words silly, yeah. yeah no doubt and um yeah um thank you beyonce for letting me use the name i actually had to clear it i had to call oh seriously? And, th- and thank jay like i uh, i texted him i was like hey man can you ask beyonce if if I know I got this clearance thing coming through for um for the song and I'm and I explained to him how I used it you know uh-huh. um and I'm I'm just happy they let me uh they let me use it so thank y'all I really appreciate that wow that's dope. Uh, <laughs> so number six number six is called Gandhi Dalai Lama your Lord and Savior J C Bundy Jeffrey Dahmer and John Wayne Gacy. And so for for me, um, number six was I was trying to show an extreme, extreme way of opposites, an extreme way of balances, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. like how people look at things. And I was trying to show both sides of humans. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that's what that was. And when you hear the song, it kind of sounds that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's a bar for real. And number seven. Number seven. Ants to you gods to who and uh number seven is just uh kind of like an examination of scale like Mm. sometimes like i look down like if you're looking at ants like to them or to us they're ants and they're like oh look at these little things yeah but who's looking up at ants (laughs) like what are ants looking down at and saying oh they're little things you know what i mean like so it's kind of like a play on scale like do they look up at us and be like, what are those gods, or are they treat like? It's, it's, I don't know. It just made me think of like scale, yeah. And then like how we look at the universe, and there's somebody holding the universe in their palm, mm-hmm. and looking at all of us are like ants. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It was just scale, man. Okay, and the last one, the last one, number eight, is called "Dreams Once Buried Beneath the Dungeon Floor Slowly Sprout into Undying Gardens." And really, man, that was just a shout to like my birthplace and like my training ground and like my friends and my compadres that helped me get me here. Like there's no way I could I could be doing none of this without the dungeon. Hmm. So it was really um really a nod yeah. to the dungeon. Dungeon family for sure. Like I came out the dungeon. No doubt. Well, you you co-starred in a in a film. Speaking of small communities, you you co-starred in a film directed by Kelly Reichardt mm-hmm. last year called Showing Up, mm-hmm. and it was about you know kind of like a small community of artists at this arts college in Oregon. And a lot of the movie, it really focused on. It felt like just the craft of art making, of yeah. of, of of showing up, you know. And I'm curious, like, did that film 
at the time when you made it, did it open up anything for you in terms in terms of showing up and, and finding fulfillment in the work? Yeah, it opened up a lot for me in a lot of different ways. For one, once I got the role and I was to play a kiln master, the, the person that burns the ceramics or whatever your sculpture is in a, in a firing kiln, like you burn it in like this oven kind of, mm-hmm. which is called a kiln. And so the production company, they were like, hey, we want you to, just so you know what a kiln master does, we want you to hang out with an actual kiln master. So they send me to meet this kiln master, and I ended up meeting this guy named Tony Marsh that works at Cal State Long Beach. And so I go to Cal State and I hang out with him for a couple of days just to see how do you move? How do you load the kiln? uh, How do you take it out? Uh, Just to kind of to understand what it was. From that meeting, um, Tony says, hey, have you ever done ceramics at all in in real life? And I was like, no. I was like, I draw. um, But no, I've never done ceramics. So he sends me home with a big block of clay. And... um, I actually went off to do another movie so that block of cake block of clay dried out mm-hmm. but I went back because I wanted to know more about ceramics so I actually sculpt now and uh, I do ceramic pieces um, and you'll see some of that stuff really soon but just that that meeting for that movie mm-hmm. like it's kind of like life imitating a movie movie imitating a life yeah that that happened for me and also um like in that movie when I was on the set, I would, mm-hmm. in between takes, I'd play. I'd just play flute in mm-hmm. between takes. And so Kelly heard me playing a lot, and it became a part of, like, the environment of the film. And so she's like, hey, do you mind if we uh, record you to put you in the film? Mm-hmm. And so, um, so yeah, I, I was out in the yard one day, and they just set up a mic, and everybody was around, the, like, the crew. And we were all quiet, and they were like, just play. And so I was just kind of playing and they recorded it. And so when you watch that film and you hear flute in it, yeah. uh, that was some of my first, I guess, flute film work. Okay. Yeah. And I heard. Al- also in the film, Everything All at Once, um, that came out last year, I yeah. think, uh, I did some flute work. And that that was actually my first, um, yeah, my first flute work, I guess. And, it, and it's funny now because I actually get a lot of calls from like artists, like music artists. They'd be like, hey, can you come play flute on my record? Like, okay, uh, kind of more than rap now, which is so funny to me. Uh, <laughs> it's dope, though. It's, it's I mean, funny, so, man. It's it's hilarious in a way. Uh, do you see scoring in your future? For sure, for sure. Yeah. Like when you listen to the album too, you'll hear in ways that yeah, we're gonna score a film. Mm-hmm. Well, we're definitely mm-hmm. gonna score a film, and uh, we've been talking about it a lot. We record all the time. We have so much music. Like there was so much that couldn't make. New Blue Sun that are so so much dope music, man, that you will hear it really soon. Um, yeah, so just stay tuned. We we got so much music. So is this, you see this as like a step in your creative journey or, or is it like a nice place to land for a while? Like, how are you looking at it? Uh, like I look at anything. I look at it like this is a day that's happening. This is happening. Hmm. This is what it is right now. Mm-hmm. How I how you should look at anything. I don't know what tomorrow is going to be, but right now, this is where it's at. Well, Andre, I appreciate you, man. Um, if, one last question, if I could get it in, like you you've talked a lot in in recent years about about fame and and you know one thing 
about people who acquire like a certain amount of fame is you, you don't always necessarily have a lot of control over your legacy or how you remember it or the parts that people choose to gloss over or, you know, the parts they obsess about forever. But if you could choose, like, how would you how would you summarize like this coming up on this first half century of your life? I would say now that I have kind of like a, a time to look back at it, it's been an amazing ride. And I realize now that I've been on a ride. And now it's kind of like it's so much easier now that I know I'm on a ride instead of trying to control a certain thing. And I can say that I've noticed that I think I think I'm a catalyst kind of artist. And what I mean by that is I think I'm being used in ways to be watched, you know, like mm. to be inspiring to people. And like to, like to me, that's the best thing ever, man, like to inspire someone else to do something else. And I see it now. I see the inspiration in other people. And to me, it's validation of me being here as a human. And I think all humans just want validation. Like, if I got to go through this life, I, I at least want people to know that I did something or that I was valuable to somebody. And so I've kind of had time to sit and look back from from rap to musicians to the new generation to new artists that I'm I'm so happy that I was a part of a lineage and a legacy and kind of food for the next generation because I've noticed that you're only as good as the people that were before you. That's heavy. What is it that you hope this this generation, you know, this hip hop generation takes from this particular project and this this moment in your creative art? Explore, man explore that's what it's about like keep pushing that's that's really what it, i mean the same way you explore words you don't have to let it stick to words explore whatever you pay attention to pay attention to what you paying attention to and go for it that's really what it is and like i, I couldn't have planned this like i just start paying attention to a thing and just went for it so you don't have to stay in a certain way and i think i mean you they know it now like they got it man like i'm i'm seeing like that whole like no categories kind of thing or yeah yeah i mean we're we're in a in a world now where we have so many influences coming from so many different directions that you don't have to be a one thing i do find it noble and i find it awesome when someone can focus on a one thing mhm but I mean, a lot of different practices or, or bringing bringing in a lot of different things is interesting, too. So if it if it calls you, you know, test it. So I just really want to be inspiring for people and to look at it and be like, yeah, I want to explore. No doubt. No doubt. We well, appreciate you, man. And thank you again for the music. Always inspiring. Whatever you're doing, you know, the film work obviously over the years hope you keep that up and and looking forward to this soundtrack or scoring work that you might do next thank you um, thank you I appreciate yeah man it. yeah appreciate yeah. it and and i hope uh people receive this album in the way that that they should and that you want them to yeah i just my, my only goal man is i just want people to listen to it and just be inspired by the actual movement of how it got here yeah. You know, and that's it. And and also I want to say the volume of what it is. Like we did give some type of listening instruction on the album, but mm -hmm. I mean these are these are not bangers. So I mean they're not really made to be played really loud. Yeah. It's more about the dynamic of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so play it at low to mid volume. Nice. Cool. Nice. Thank you, bro. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, man. Peace. All right. Take care now. Yeah, yeah. That's Andre 3000.
talking about his new instrumental album, New Blue Sun, out and available to hear on November 17th. I'm Rodney Carmichael. It's NPR Music. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Dignity Memorial. When your celebration of life is prepaid today, your family is protected tomorrow. Planning ahead is truly one of the best gifts you can give your family. For additional information, visit DignityMemorial.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture Card. Earn unlimited 2x miles on every purchase. Plus, earn unlimited 5x miles on hotels and rental cars booked through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Okay, close your eyes for a second. Now imagine you're on your dream vacation. No work calls to answer, no text messages to respond to, just your suitcase and an opportunity. The opportunity to just take yourself out of your routine and travel deeper. How to actually take that dream trip. That's on the Life Kit Podcast from NPR.